If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to another episode of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer of UK thrash band Acid Rain, or you may know me from my other podcast, Talking Bollocks. Feel free to visit there. You'll see my name is highlighted in the description of this podcast. That's because there's a link there. Click on it and it'll take you to all my podcasts. However, on this particular show i am your guide through the world of all things motorhead and what a time we're having it's a great time to be alive in the world of motorhead at the moment um we've got the 40th anniversary edition of no sleep till hammersmith and it is an absolute beauty um there's hardback book packs in two cd and triple lp formats plus a deluxe four CD box set featuring all three shows that made the record for No Sleep. It had never been released in their entirety before, so that's your chance to get them. Also included is the story of the album, lots of unseen photos, and all sorts of treasures. So if they're your kind of thing, you definitely need to get your eyes on those. Um, best way to do that is, of course, imotorhead.com, the official Motorhead website. That is imotorhead.com, the letter I, motorhead.com. There you go. So what's happening in this episode? In this episode, I am chatting with the fantastic Simon Abbott, Somebody who was lucky enough to be at that famous Port Vale show that everybody keeps hearing about. So, if you were at that show, prepare to have your memory jogged. If you weren't, prepare to hear all about it as Simon and I have a chat about all things Motorhead. I always sort of tend to to start with the same question, which is, how did you first discover Motorhead? It would have it would have been through somebody around my age, someone from my my kind of peer group playing me a Motorhead song or, or talking about Motorhead. Yeah. And um, I remember gr- I grew up, you know, south of the Midlands, town called Solihull, and um, and at school then, um, you know, kind of first school I went to, music was an important thing, and we were all discovering you know, bands and, and, you know, watching Top of the Pops and all that kind of stuff, talking about music and checking out what each other were listening to. Of course, my dad was really into music, used to play a lot of music in his car, and that was my kind of formative exposure to, to rock music, all the different cassettes that he had. In fact, even before that, eight tracks. And uh, But I remember, I think I remember in 79, a kid I was at school with passed a cassette to me that had... The, the first, maybe it was 80, 1980, it had the first Maiden album, Iron Maiden album on one side and the first Van Halen album on the other. And that, wow. was, a bit of a re- that was a bit of a revelation because I like guitars and I'd been struck by just guitars in general and I loved a lot of the, you know, energy from guitars from all the 70s rock stuff and the 60s rock stuff. And then when punk and post-punk came along, I loved that because that was even more aggressive. And then I'd heard these guitars and I thought, wow, this is, this is really great. This is a move on from a lot of the stuff I've been listening to, which might have been anything from, you know, Blondie to Queen to Quo to ELO to, you know, Fleetwood Mac or David, uh, you know, 
Bowie or whatever. And then I heard those guitars. And then I think that led to discovering more about that kind of music and then discovering Motorhead. And, uh, but I think most probably the first time I would have seen them would have been on Top of the Pops. Right. I think that there would have been a Top of the Pops moment. Or if it wasn't Top of the Pops, it would have been some kind of footage of them. Um, and then discovering the band that way. And immediately with a band like Motorhead, you know, they, they were such a strong, at that time, three really strong characters with a great band image and, and such a distinctive sound. I just felt that like they were just, they were the real deal. They were just an amazing band. They were their own kind of genre, really. Well, you know? yes. Yeah, there was nothing else like Motorhead. Well, I mean, some would say there still isn't today, but especially back then, there was there was nothing else like Motorhead at all. Yeah, and I think that bands that really are just seem so complete and seem to have their own sound, whether it's a band like Motorhead or or, or bands like you know Sabbath or or, or Zeppelin or or Lizzie or uh, you know um, ACDC, they just you know immediately within a few seconds it's them. And, uh, and, and the great thing about Motorhead was that they didn't seem to care about what anybody thought and they, and, and, and they just scoffed at the idea of being labelled this and that and, and I always liked that. And they just seemed to be a bit outsider and then the more I discovered about them, the more interesting it was and, you know, and they took elements of, you know, kind of rock and, and also the energy and, and, and elements of punk and the attitude of punk and they just kind of meshed it together. And certainly going to see them live you'd see a lot of kids in the audience, you know, with Mohicans and, and they weren't necessarily, you know, kind of standard heavy rock fans or heavy metal fans or whatever. There was a real mixture of different people there. And that was, that was really, um, that was really good to see. I felt that they had a, an audience that wasn't just based in, in one area of music because, you know, music is often sold to you and described to you in such, you know, pigeonholing terms, which is such a shame. But that's the way people, you know, do it out of out of ease, I suppose, out of simplicity, wanting to just better boil it down to, you know, easily definable and expressible areas, you know. Yeah, and and that that mixed audience also speaks to the uh, reasons why you were attracted to the music in the first place. You know that 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 energy and that that sort of not seeming to care what anyone thinks. That you know that that all plays into the punk aesthetic. And and but it, you know it appeals to people across the board, and hence you end up with that you know eclectic mix of audience. Absolutely, and I remember, and, and in 1980, I changed schools, and then I was suddenly in an environment where there were a lot of older kids into music, you know, kind of 15, 16, 17 around me, and um, and I think that that also had an impact. That I was, you know, coming across people that music that, that was different from the stuff I'd heard about before and there was that whole cross-pollinization going on of, of hearing about stuff oh you like that you should check out this and all that kind of stuff and and then I discovered um tracks like Bomber and Overkill and saw the albums and and then around that time the live album came out and I remember it went to number one and that was a huge thing like a live album going to number one in the album chart well, you know, it's it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite facts that it was the very first live album to do that in the UK charts. Yeah, and you know, and I can't think of many others. You know, and and I've always liked a good live album. I mean, there was you know, the seventies was probably the you know the the best period for for live albums, um, especially for rock bands, because often 
people would say, oh, well, you know, what they've put out so far in the studio doesn't quite capture what they're like live, or yeah. they just haven't haven't found the right producer or whatever, or they haven't had the right uh, chemistry in the studio, you know. And then suddenly, you know, you 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 and you. And, there were a number of great live albums, you know, Live and Dangerous and, uh, you know, various ones at the Budokan and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Like Live uh, Evil by Sabbath. You had Killers by Queen. Live Killers. Yeah, I um, I really liked the live ACDC album, a lot of which was recorded apparently, you know, up in Glasgow. And, um, and obviously with their Scottish roots, the Young family, that makes sense. And... I just thought it was a great record, and and I think it's got the best version of of Motorhead, the song Motorhead on it. I don't think there's a better version than that live version. And hearing, let me say, just in case, I love I love the dark humour in all of that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, this, it was just great. It, it was a great period, and um, and then I really started to listen to all the various records, and uh, and then got to go and see them live in in that summer of 81 and i've not been to a lot of gigs i would only been to a handful of gigs um i think and that year i saw i saw rainbow and rose tattoo at the rainbow i saw um i saw pink floyd do the wall at uh, earl's court oh wow actually went with, i'm, I'm actually very went jealous with, actually went with my dad because he was <laughs> he was a massive fan of of the wall and um and he liked some of the other pink floyd albums but the wall seemed to strike a, a chord with him, if that doesn't sound too partridge-esque. And um, <laughs> he, um, we, me and him went down to Earl's Court and he bought a couple of tickets off a tout for, I think they were 750 tickets, you paid 30 quid cash for them. And I think it, it was only because they had some massive tax bill that they had to do a few get extra gigs because it was like a year after they'd done the main touring gigs for that album. Um, so that year was a really good year for me. And, uh, and then in the summer holidays, a couple, of, a couple of mates who were a bit older than me told me that they were driving up to see um, that day's worth of music at uh, Port Vale Football Club. And so I went along with them. They picked me up. The, uh, these guys, um, Doug and Pat, and one of them had a Mini. We all got in the Mini. I remember um, there were bottles of like Bulmers or Woodpecker rolling around in the bottom <laughs> of the Mini. And we drove up there. And we had no idea what it was going to be like. You know, it had been billed as this kind of heavy metal holocaust, you know, which we thought was just, you know, typically over the top. But to go and see, um, you know, Motorhead and and Ozzy on the same bill just seemed like a lot of fun. I really didn't know any of the other bands on the bill. And then I found out later that it was meant to be a Sabbath gig and, and Sabbath had pulled out. And, uh, and Ozzy thought he could, like, you know, cock a snook a little bit by stepping in. And... and Randy Rhodes was in his band then, so that was amazing to get to see them with Randy Rhodes. That I mean, the the, the Port Vale gig is 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 famous or infamous, depending on how you um, uh, what terms you prefer. Um, there'll be a lot of people that, that that will listen to this and be incredibly jealous that you were at a gig that's sort of gone down in the um, in the annals of rock history as um, as a as a special event. It must have been um, must have been quite a day. It was it was a very you know it was it was a fantastic day musically it was just great fun but logistically you kind of felt that it that hadn't really been organised as well as it could and certainly by today's standards or even the standards later on that decade it, it did seem very kind of you know quickly put together and you know you had a uh, you know a football football stadium that that really was very old school 
and a bit a bit knackered and a bit broken down. You had all these kids herded into it, and the facilities were were pretty rough and broken. I mean, anyone who grew up in the seventies knew what knows what it's like in in the UK in that period. It, it uh, oh, it was it was you know quite quite an eye opener, um, and it was a it was a baking hot day, and I don't really remember there being a huge amount of variety in terms of what to eat or drink. I'm not even sure that we managed to get our bottles of cider into the venue. I, I'm not sure whether whether that was possible. I can't quite remember. But um, it was typically kind of like, you know, cheap beer and, uh, you know, cheap burgers, and that was about it. But it was just great to be able to to be there and experience all that music for uh, for a day, you know. And um, who, who played um, Vardis? Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush played or, uh, Triumph. I mean, these were bands I'd never really heard of until that day. Um, but just knowing that you were going to go and get to see Aussie and Motorhead was was enough to keep your interest going throughout the afternoon into the evening. And um, and I remember Motorhead hadn't yet retired the bomber lighting rig. And right. I think somebody somebody told me that they had like this was going to be its last hurrah that they were going to use it for this show and then probably put it away. And then on the next tour, obviously, the Iron Fist tour, they had a different kind of stage setup. I remember the stage, they, they were lowered from, the, from above at the beginning of the um, 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 shows for, um, for Iron Fist. Yeah. They, uh, you know, you, the stage was empty and then they came down from, from the lighting rig. Um, so to see them play with the bomber lighting rig was great. And, and it was really, really, really loud. <laughs> I mean, it was it was shockingly loud. Uh, I didn't think gigs could be that loud, and I'm not sure I've ever been to a louder. I I did go and see my bloody Valentine in the early '90s, and they were loud, uh, but that was indoors. This was, you know, really really loud. And um, somebody said afterwards that they played at something like 117 decibels, and people were able to identify songs four or five miles away, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not sure how much of that is just, you know become uh, you know kind of legend rather than the truth i'm, I'm not sure well i can, I can tell you that um i've i've spoken to the um i've spoken with the guy who owned the company that uh, provided pas for motorhead throughout their career and i can and i can assure you that pretty much most of the stories that you 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 hear are true <laughs> well I, I i can certainly tell you that you know looking around when they came on and were playing some of the people there were you know were really you know they where they were moving to the back of the pitch because it was so loud and others were moving towards the stage loving the fact that it was so loud i remember a couple of people had passed out and were right in front of the main you know groups of speakers on the left and the right and you just couldn't believe that they could physically bear it because it was so loud but it was fantastic and um i remember there were some really funny incidents as well there was um they they kind of lowered the bomber lighting rig at one point, and Lemmy, typically wearing those fantastic white Cuban heel boots that he used to wear, got in to the kind of you know the the metal kind of frame of the bomber thing, and and then they were lifting it up a little bit. He was almost coming off the ground, but then he snagged one of his heels, and and the heel on one of his boots broke. Oh no! And, and he got he got off, and he got back to his you know behind the mic stand. And then a roadie came on to change his boot. And this started to turn into a kind of spinal tap moment because as the roadie came on and some of the crowd spotted him, 
he was a, a target for what they wanted to throw at him. Yeah. And so they were throwing stuff at the roadie who was trying to do his best to change Lem, uh, Lemmy's boot. And then Lemmy realized that they were doing this and he wanted to, to get, you know, to get him away from him. So he's kind of trying to shake him off as he was trying to change his boot. So it was just a ridiculous scene for a minute or two. Yeah. The guy managed to change his boot. And then, of course, as he, I mean, there was, the crowd didn't seem to want to kind of ease off throwing things at the roadie, despite the fact that he was like less than a meter away from Lemmy. Yes. So there was a lot of collateral damage and ducking and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, as he disappeared back to the, to the exit stage left or whatever, a, 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 another rain and bottles and cans and stuff came down on him. Poor guy. But um, it was just a brilliant, brilliant evening of music. And, uh, you know, Motorhead played a fantastic set. And it was, you know, when, you know, the first time you got to see them live, it was just such an amazing thing. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I was really grateful that I got to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's a legendary show. Was there ever, ever a time over the years that you saw them again where, you know, it was recreated that you, you know, you felt like, wow, yeah, um, this is a brilliant show. Or having seen them there at that show, did that always remain for you, you know, the first time was the best? I think the first, you know, a band that you really love, seeing them for the first time, you really want it to be a great show. And it's always, it's always tough because, you know, it can, it can be really such a disappointment if, if you've got this idea built up in your head of what they're going to be like and they, and they don't live up to that, you know, expectation. And they really did live up to it. It was just fantastic. And, and the great thing about it was you could move through the crowd and, um, and get to get fairly close up to the stage. And so, you know, it wasn't like we were stuck at the back like you are in, in, in venues where the security won't let you out of your seat or you need like a pair of binoculars to find the stage. So it, that was really, really great. It felt really good fun. And, you know, when you're young, and I was like, well, I think I was like 14 or whatever, it, it's just a great place to be surrounded by people who you can see are loving the music. And, um, and by then I knew a lot of the songs in the set. Um, and I did see them, you know, I saw them on the, on the Iron Fist tour a couple of times. Um, and so I saw them again quite recently after that. And, and you know, they were always really good. Um, I saw them at Download in 2009 on the Friday. I went up to see that show because that day Priest and Kiss also played um, and I'd never seen Kiss and I wanted to see them once. And then, no, that wasn't 2009. Perhaps it was, yes, yeah. And, um, and then I saw them on the, um, is it the World, the World Is Yours tour, which might have been later that year, 2009 in November at Hammersmith Odeon. And that was the last time I, I saw them and they had girls school and the damned playing with them that night and that was great that that felt really really good because it felt like it was you know many many years later but they still had an amazing way of delivering they still had power they still sounded fantastic obviously only lemmy was left in the lineup then it was a different lineup but they never disappointed live they were always really really good so to have seen them in 81 and then see them again in in 2009 um in between, um, sometimes I wished I'd seen them more often, but they were still an amazing force and always will be one of the greatest you know, rock bands this, this country's ever produced. And, and without doubt, probably the loudest rock band this country's ever produced. <laughs> yeah, I certainly get that. And I think there's something to be said. You know, you go to a gig, it, it should be loud. You know, there's nothing worse than going to a gig and not feeling that you've got your money's worth um, or that they've had to tone it down and, uh, you know... I think that you you want a rock band to be loud, and and I think if it's 
a rock band that's essentially one guitar, one bass, one set of drums and voices. You know, that's what you want. You want to really feel it as much as, as hear it, you know, yeah. and, and that's the one thing that Motet had. And also just the way that Lemmy played his bass, almost more like a, like a rhythm guitarist was such an important part of their sound. There's, there's no one else who ever got a bass sound like him. And, uh, and I think that really makes it special when, when you see them live. Um, I really, I really thought that he was, um, you know, one of the great bass players in that respect. And, um, I'm, I feel really happy that I did get to see them a handful of times. Well, the thing is, as well, is that it, it is that the, you're talking about a band that um, had different lineups, but the but the momentum just kept just kept going. You know, I mean, they they you know they had a, a my perfect day one off with Brian Robertson, and then they you know and then they moved to another lineup and another lineup, and then you know towards the end um, with um, with Phil and Mickey. Um, they did another huge run, and they've, it's it's almost like you know there's there's you have the iconic lineup, the you know the the iconic Eddie, Phil, and Lemmy lineup, and for some people that will always be the ultimate lineup. But they you know they they carried on delivering no matter what. Yeah, they did, and and I think that says a lot about Lemmy that he's kind of force of personality. You know, it's all about serving the songs and and creating that idea of Motorhead that he's got in his head. And, and you know, the, the great thing about rock and roll music like that is you're not reinventing the wheel. You know, you're basically taking a template that was created by people like Chuck Berry and Little Richard and others and refined over, over the decades. And you're putting your own stamp on it. And they did it brilliantly. And, um, you know, every now and again, I'd hear a, 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 um, a relatively new Motorhead track and, and go, wow, they've still got it. They're, they're still writing great, great songs. You know, uh, as much as everybody loves, you know, Motorhead and, and Bomber and, and Overkill and, and Ace of Spades and, you know, We Are The Road Crew and all those early songs, there are plenty of fantastic gems that they came up with over, over the decades following that, you know, and, and that's, that's a great sign. And um, I think they produced a, a wonderful body of work and, um, I think that body of work will last for a long, long, long time. I, I think you're right, and and it's um, it, it's it's a huge legacy that they've that they've left as well. Um, and I mean, well, you know, here we here we are talking on a podcast, you know, after after the band's done, um, and it's quite obvious to me that for a lot of people, Motorhead is is definitive of a genre, but especially Lemmy as an individual was the key to the band's longevity was the key to keeping the band um, relevant is that Lemmy is one of those amazing people who was never in fashion and he was never out of fashion he was just he was just Lemmy yeah just a just an incredible character and um, you know his talent and his his personality you know touched so many people you know people from you know all all the different kind of forms of music that have come since, and uh, you know in 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 the world of rock and and further afield it, that that kind of attitude, and also the fact that he grew up in and you know kind of in Britain in that post-war period, and he had all those experiences from you know the fifties and the sixties and the seventies that for a lot of people you know younger that they won't know about that those things, but a lot of that stuff informed what he did and you know he was in bands in the 60s onwards and 
and it, it, that's that's a really important thing. His his attitude and his attitude to everybody and and his stance on you know not being uh, you know racist or sexist or homophobic or all that kind of stuff. His attitude that everybody should be given the chance to do whatever they want to do. Um, those things have, have really carried through, and I think that that is part of of the motor motorhead kind of ethos that it's um you know don't let the bastards grind you down you know yeah every, everybody should have a chance to do what they want to do and if you don't hurt anyone else in the process then that's that's really what you should aim for and, and you should also aim to leave this world in in a better place than when you when you found it you know and all these kinds of things he embodied a lot of those things and and he was true to himself and i think people will, will always be inspired by that and that's why so many people have you know, spoken up about their their love for him and and, and his band and, and and what he stood for, and I think that's a really really important thing. But ultimately, the 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 records that they've left behind speak for themselves. There are so many fantastic recordings. Yeah, and and you know, it's it's interesting what you're saying there. It's a very good point. You know, Le- Lemmy was preaching uh, inclusivity um, from you know the 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 word go. Um, and it's kind of like society is just catching up with him. Yeah, I think that he was very, very good at that because he was very forthright. He hadn't been kind of shackled by a lot of the kind of um, kind of ideas that a lot of British institutions try and force upon people as they're growing up and, you know, kind of hold them back and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he he eventually had to leave this country and, and and go and live in the states, and 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 that worked for him. But then, you know, who want, wouldn't want to be in, in a place like California where the, the sun shines most of the time? Yeah. But he had he had experienced enough of of Britain for it to never leave him, and uh, you know that you always knew that, and uh, and he always seemed to be in touch, and he used to have always seemed to have a kind of an an eternal element of youth within him. He never lost that that feeling that it's really important to hang on to that you never forget what it was like when you were young and what it was that inspired and excited you. And that's a, a important element, I think, of, of Motorhead's music. And that kind of three or four minute rush that you get from a great rock song is something that they that they never, you know, forgot about. They never lost, which is which is great. Yeah, I mean, he it was always, you know, from from the Motorhead um, ethos or rather Lemmy's ethos, it was always, you know, look, it's all about the music. It's all about. So, you know, you used, you used the expression serving the songs earlier. Um, and that, that's that's exactly um, what he did. It was you know, no matter no matter the trappings of Motorhead, um, it was all about the music. It was all about the songs. Yeah. And I, I think that um, because of that, you know, the band always worked really, really well. He always found the guys to help him do that. And he always made great records. Everyone will have their favourites um, through the different periods of the band. But I think that it was all about that. And when people used to try and, you know, bracket him as or bracket Motorhead as a, as a kind of a, of a heavy metal band or something like that, he would always laugh and scoff and say, well, no, we're, we're a rock and roll band. And, and I think the best bands from you know, the kind of wider type of music that we're talking about will always be rock and roll bands. Um, I, it's not that I'm particularly down on the phrase heavy metal or anything, but it's really important to remember that, that it is all about rock and roll. And, and a band has got to swing and a band has got to have that 
kind of love of what of what really was the first type of music that that then led to all the different myriad styles of rock that we have now and that is you know rock and roll and and the attitude of rock and roll as well as the sound of rock and roll yeah and i think for, for me i've always i you know motorhead have always occupied this this space where um they're, they're just between so many genres there's like you know there there's rock and roll there's heavy metal there's you know there's blues there and and every but and and then and then there's motorhead you know, Motorhead is just Motorhead. It's almost like its own genre. Yeah, and I think that is the sign of a great band, you know, that uh, there isn't really anyone else like them. And um, some people will say, well, you know, for good or for bad, but I think that it's it's really important that you create your own sound. And they certainly did. And, um, you know, you take all the different influences and you, you're aware of all the things going on around you and the current stuff and the stuff that you've loved from the past and uh, you put it into your own personal blender and it, and it comes out. And Motorhead did that. And I think that um, that's what people love about them. They, uh, they created almost, you know, Planet Motorhead. Yes. And, um, and that was, that's a great thing. And, um, and all of this ultimately is about going back to the music and if you know listening to these podcasts and reading about the band and every time I see a you know an image whether it's from like you know 1979 or 2009 if ultimately it makes you want to go and play some Motorhead records again then that really is what it's all about that's the most important thing and uh, and I'm sure Lemmy would would want people to continue to listen to the music that he made I, I I think that's um I think that's an absolutely brilliant point, and I think that's a really good that's a really good place to leave it because you've just you've just summed up the whole um, Motorhead ethos and legacy in um, in one very neat sentence. Uh, that 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 was very impressive. Thank you. Great, Howard. Good. <laughs> I, I I hope that's all good for you. Oh, ab- absolutely. It was. I mean, look. Once again, thank you for taking the time to. Um, uh, you know, to talk Motorhead, it's um, it's uh, it's a real pleasure. You know, catching up with people from all over the world and all these different experiences. And um, you know, just thank you very much for sparing the time. No, it's good. I mean, it's one of the great things I like as well is that now, you know, I've got three kids and my daughter, who's eighteen, will come downstairs. You know, every now and again, and she's wearing a Motorhead shirt. You know, but she's like, you know, taken one of my old ones and she's done her thing to it. And um, and she goes out and she's very happy to tell people about Motorhead and uh, if they ask her why she's wearing that shirt and uh, and she listens to some of the music when I play it in the car and I think it's you know it's going to pass through the generations. I think that they are such an important part of the of the great tapestry of of, of British rock bands. Well, it's so, it, um, yeah, you've made a really good point there as well because they you know Lemmy himself as a as a personality. Um, was not only you know musical genre uh, neutral, but he kind of broke into the mainstream for a while there as well. You know, he'd appear, you'd, you'd see him in the sun, and you'd see him, you know, doing adverts for milk and things like that. You know, he became, he did actually sort of break into the mainstream without making any attempt to do that. I think I think that's because he was so true to himself, and, and yes. the band was such a powerful band that people wanted a piece of it. I mean, I remember when they were on the Young Ones. That was brilliant. Yeah. That was just such a wonderful moment. And it felt like you could look around 
you know, the room, if you were in, if all your kind of peers or even people you knew who scoffed a little uh, or snorted when, when you mentioned motor, they were all there. You could look at them and go, there you go. That's yeah. what I've been talking about, you know. And, and it was great because, you know, one week uh, madness were on, yeah. uh, you know, the young ones. And then another week you'd have a, another cool bat, you know. But the, having Motorhead on was, was really great. And, like, seeing Lemmy on Tiz Wars or, you know, offshoots of that. And, yeah, he's, he had a presence in that kind of, you know, world world of i guess t- tv personalities celebrities that was ar- around in the in the 80s and the 90s when you know it, it wasn't such a reality you know dominated celebrity world you know like it is now it was it was people that were you know they had, had to have some kind of talent to earn, earn the right to go on those programs yeah and he and he certainly had an amazing singular talent which uh, you know you know can never be de- denied um so that was really good. And I do think, yeah, I do think, you know, he, he, you know, kind of bumped up against the mainstream every now and again, and he did it in his own way. And, um, you know, and, and his influence has pervaded into lots of areas. And, um, and you see people, you know, walking around and um, these days, uh, you know, looking like they could easily have been inspired by the way that Lemmy dressed in the you know, in the 70s and 80s and, you know, onwards. And um, every now and again, I'll walk through Carnaby Street and turn and go past the Great Frog or something like that, and I'll think about him. And you see, you know, little things, people wearing T-shirts and, like, jewellery, and I see a Rickenbacker bass. The first person I think of is Lemmy. Yeah. You yeah, know. Absolutely. Even though, even though a lot of great, famous bass players, you know, the Chris Squires and, and uh, you know, you know, these guys, you know, have all played Rickenbacker basses. It's it's immediately Lemmy I think of when I just see the shape of that bass guitar. Absolutely, and I speak. I think you speak for many people um, who feel exactly the same way. Um, look, Simon, once again, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. No problem, Howard. Nice to chat to you. And you, sir. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheers. You too. And I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did doing it. Um, I'm really enjoying doing these chats with people and getting all the angles from all of these, you know, special events and uh, these legendary things that happened in the career of Motorhead. So speak to people who were actually there at the time um, and get their reflections on them is just absolutely brilliant. And and Simon was no different. Um, I hope you're really enjoying listening to these. Uh, if so, make sure you're subscribed. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a subscribe button, bell, something somewhere. Have a look around for it. Click that and you are subscribed. A new episode of the Motorcast comes into your device every two weeks without you having to do a thing. So if you've done that, please Get someone else to do it as well. Tell your friends. Get them all to subscribe. If you're into rock music, some of these stories and some of the guests we've got coming up are just unreal. If you're enjoying it, we've got plenty more where this came from, I promise you. I'm really enjoying taking you around this world and and finding out these stories. I do feel a, a, a real kind of... Um, a sense of honour and a sense of, of, of ownership over all of this. I hope I'm doing a good job. I've had some really nice feedback from you guys and I really do appreciate every single word of it. So thank you very much. Keep listening, keep subscribing and we'll catch you next time on the Motorcast.
I don't say agreed. The only God I need is the ace of spades. The ace of spades.